What's up, witches? I'm Claudia. And I'm Jess. And welcome to True Crime Coven. True Crime Week. Today I brought along a case that I remember taking place. I didn't know the details at the time because I was about 12, but I do remember it happening because it was so close to where I grew up in South East London. Mm. And in a place where I would visit weekly going out as a fresh-faced 18-year-old. Because today I want to discuss the tragic case of Sally Ann Bowman, which happened in Croydon. So do you do you think you know her name? Recognise it at all? No, I don't think I do. No. I I wonder if maybe when you get into it, I'll be like, oh, actually, no, I remember the details. But yeah, I mean, it was quite famous because she was sort of famous. Okay, she was on her way to becoming famous. The sheer fact that we're talking about this means that it's obviously a horrific crime. Mm. But I feel that it hits so hard because as two women, we know the usual goodbyes, yeah. the usual routines of our friends. We do it with each other. Mm. Let me know when you get home. Text when you get home. Yeah. I share my locations with friends. If it's dark, I won't wear my headphones or I won't wear them properly so I can hear. Yeah, I've definitely. definitely yeah, I've definitely jumped at shadows on the way home. If there's a quicker way but it's less lit you're like oh, oh yeah i'll go the longer way you know if there's a cut through you're like i oh, have I'm a friend gonna, who yeah. lives like if i was going for a park 10 minute walk yeah but because i have to go all the way around this massive oh, park yeah. it's a half an hour walk yeah so i wanted to actually talk about this because it's sort of ever since i read about it it's one of the main reasons why i watch my friends until they climb into their uber or until they mm. close their front door behind them like yeah. if i ever drop you home I'm, I'm not being weird, but I will sit in the car until you're in the house. Definitely. And this is something that I really sticks into my mind whenever mm. I, I do drop someone home. Yeah. And this is the story of Sally Ann Bowman. So the trigger warnings for this, obviously we'll be talking about violence and murder. There is rape and sexual assault mm. in this. So just if that's something that you don't feel like you've got the capacity for today, absolutely fine. We'll see you another time. Yeah, come back and listen to a ghost story instead. Yeah. I have a lot more fun with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're more fun. Yeah. <laughs> Sally Ann Bowman was born on the 11th of September 1987 in Carlshalter to parents Paul and Linda Bowman. She was their fourth child, in fact the fourth baby girl they welcomed into the world. At the time of her birth, her sisters were six-year-old Danielle, four-year-old Nicole and two-year-old Michelle. Her parents would go on to divorce, but Sally Ann would stay close to both of them and would attend the Brit School in Croydon, which again, oh, wow. I know a lot of people attended it because yeah. it was so close to my house. Yeah. She loved singing, dancing and performing. And on top of these talents, Sally Ann was also stunning. She stood at six feet tall with wow. a slim frame, long blonde hair and bright blue eyes. She was really stunning. I was going to say, even just from that description, you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's no wonder that she was often compared to the supermodel Kate Moss. And her aspirations was just as big as Kate's, hoping that one day she'd land the front cover of Vogue. After leaving school in 2004, at the age of 16, Sally Ann began working as a part-time hairdresser and model, eventually being signed to Pulse Model Management in January 2005, where she went on to become the face of Swatch Watches, subsequently taking part in the Swatch Alternative Fashion Week in April of that year. Eventually, she began earning enough money from both jobs to afford to move out to a flat of her own in Croydon, not too far from her family. Mm. On Saturday 24th September 2005, Sally and her older sister Nicole, along with a group of friends, decided to go on a night out in Croydon Town Centre, 
Again, I know it well. Yeah. Two weeks earlier, it had been Sally's 18th birthday, and so the allure of nightclubs and bars was still very strong. Mm. And after a hard day's work at the salon, what better way to let off steam? Sally decided to get ready at her mum's house, and when she finished picking her outfit, perfecting her hair, and applying her makeup, her sister Nicole arrived at 6.05pm to pick her up. Linda Bowman would have no idea that as she watched her beautiful daughter walk out of her house, then turn around to thank her mum for letting her get ready there, that the words, love you mum, would be the last thing she'd ever hear her youngest daughter say. I know that was really sad, but also, what nice last words. Yeah. Like, if you're going to have any last words, like, at least they were. Of course, yeah. Nice. The two sisters and their mates would go on to drink at Lloyd's Bar, dancing and chatting the night away. Whilst they're out, Sally is checking her phone often and texting back and forth with her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Lewis Sproston, 20 years old at the time. You see, while Sally was out in Croydon, Lewis was out clubbing, but in Kingston upon Thames, in southwest London, around 12 miles away. Now, he was sure that she was out flirting with other guys. Mm. She was sure that he was out flirting with other girls. And it was just a typical emotional relationship that people often experience as, like, barely adults. I think it was quite, like, intense. So, at 1am, Sally returned to a friend's home. Although some sources state it was her sister's place as well. I couldn't make out which was true. Okay. But I just assumed that there was some sort of after-party atmosphere going on, maybe like winding down. Yeah. But Sally then decided that she wanted to see Lewis, and so she got a taxi back to Croydon Town Centre so that he can pick her up, telling him that she'd been there the whole time and that her sisters and friends had gone home. Basically, like an excuse for him to be like... you Like her to be like, you have to pick me, pick up. me up. Yeah, which I'm, I'm on my own. Yeah. I... I think I did similar things. Yeah, um, we've all done it, haven't we? Yeah. Reluctantly, Lewis agreed um, because he wanted her to be safe. And so at 2.30am, he goes to collect her. The pair met up, but they did continue to bicker and argue the whole way back to Sally's flat, with Lewis now also annoyed at having to come and get her. And they even continued to argue for a further two whole hours whilst parked outside her address. Again, it's believed they argued about each other being unfaithful, but I don't believe either one ever was. Lewis states that whilst they may have raised their voices at each other, there was never any shouting. The couple eventually made up, hugging and kissing each other, but then got into another tiff when Sally wanted Lewis to stay over at hers, but Lewis didn't want to. At 4am, Sally exits Lewis's car, walking towards her own front door, but looking in his direction as he drives off. The next morning, at 6am, a neighbour of Sally's looked out of their window to see the legs of a young woman sticking out from behind a skip. They put on their slippers and dressing gown to go and investigate and found the body of Sally Ann Bowman just metres away from her own front door. Oh, my God. Yeah, and therein is why I will watch you like a hawk Mm. until you get into your house. Police were called and the area was quickly cornered off to the gathering crowd. Sally's autopsy revealed that she'd been stabbed a total of seven times in her neck and stomach. Three of the knife wounds were so savage that they passed straight through her body. Oh, my God. Additionally, I know, like, the, the force, like, the yeah. hatred. Yeah. Like, this isn't just, like, oh, I'm going to start, like, this is, like, I am going There's to kill behind you. It. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Additionally, bite marks were found on her cheek, neck, and chest. And in a final disturbing finding... Sally had been raped, with the pathologist unable to confirm whether she had been alive or dead during this. Initially, all eyes turned to Lewis Sproston as being the killer. Yeah, 
He was the last person to see her alive, and they were known to have a tumultuous relationship and had been arguing that very night. Sproston was arrested for murder whilst on his way to McDonald's. When he was stopped by the police, he turned to them and asked, Is this about the row with my girlfriend last night? Additionally, his phone records didn't do much to help his case. They showed that on the night of her murder, he had threatened to spit in her face if she had been with another man. It also wasn't the first time police had been involved in one of their fights either, so there was a record to back Uh. up suspicions. Lewis was held by police for four days whilst they questioned him, along with two of his friends and his brother, before being released due to DNA evidence. The DNA evidence, which did not match Lewis's. Obviously, the police are going to go to the boyfriend first. You know? yeah. Like that, that's they always do. Like if it's a married couple, it's always the husband or the wife. Like always, the yeah, you always, always the look at always. Them. And he was the last business here alive, and they were bickering. But imagine that's the way you find out your girlfriend has been murdered. Yeah, because obviously he says to police, like, oh, oh it's, it's about the argument, around. thinking like someone's phoned them in as a, like a domestic. Yeah, or like she's a, woken up and being mad at him or whatever. Yeah, or like a noise complaint or something stupid, thinking that and then they'd be like, no, we're here about her murder. And you don't even have time to process it before no. someone's questioned you. For four like, days as well. Did you do it? And you're like, I didn't even know she was dead. Yeah, exactly. Like, obviously the police have to do their job being in that situation. I can't even... And he's imagine it like yeah he's only 20 as well yeah exactly yeah. they're both so young yeah but yeah the dna evidence didn't didn't lead them back to lewis oh also the bite marks oh i know savage oh and so the police were back to square one trying to find who had brutally murdered the young model however they did have this dna evidence left behind by the killer and they were determined to find the person it belonged to In February 2006, five months after Sally's murder, DNA screenings began across Croydon, with police asking men to come forward to volunteer a sample. Disappointingly, of the 340,000 people living in the area, only 771 men responded, and the case began to turn cold. Now, it sounds like a small amount, but thinking about it, I don't know if my dad would have, for example, been like one of the men in the area. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he probably didn't give a sample. No. And I feel like most people are like... Well, it wasn't me. Why should I give a sample? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not going to add anything. Yeah. But um, they don't realise it's... They take themselves away. Yeah, Do you know what of I mean? course. You it's one less yourself. person to look at. Yeah. You remove yourself from being a suspect. I mean, I completely don't know if my dad would have been included in the sample because we lived in a different borough. Yeah. But we were close enough. Like, even when my dad lives now to get to Croydon is like a 10 minute drive like it's not it's close yeah. like I could get to the road where this happened within like 15 minutes mm. we don't know how well this was actually publicised yeah like it's not like the booster <laughs> where like you're getting a text like get <laughs> your booster now which please do get your booster oh yeah definitely get your but booster but like I mean you could be like me get your booster still go COVID anyway but you didn't but, die no, but <laughs> or I, go to hospital I was actually absolutely fine after booster and COVID vaccines work And, like I said, the case began to turn cold. That was until June 15th, 2006, nine months after the murder. The World Cup was on, and as usual, the pubs were full of football fans ready to watch the game and enjoy a few pints along the way. And as we know all too well, fights often break out after football games. And this is what happened on that summer's day in Crawley, West Sussex, during the game of England versus Trinidad and Tobago, 
leading to the arrest of a 36-year-old man named Mark Dixie for minor assault, where his DNA was then taken and recorded in the UK database. Twelve days later, a match popped up. Mark Dixie's DNA perfectly matched the sample found on the body of Sally Ann Bowman. And so many more crimes. He's an awful human, as we're about to hear. Clearly. Well, I mean, even before you go into detail, Mm. I mean, he's obviously someone who has maliciously murdered someone and then has not tried to hide. Like, he didn't try and hide her body. No, no. Like, he has Biting someone as well, like dental records? Yeah. And as you said, like, he raped her. Yeah. He bit her. There's going to be, yeah, dental records, like saliva on her... If she tried to fight him off, there's going to be stuff under her fingernails, anything. Yeah, and he, then, he didn't even try and dispose of her yeah, body, which yeah. is... Didn't even try to hide evidence. And then, as you said, it's not like he's keeping a low profile. He's still going around... I honestly think, people. and I think as, as, you, as you hear what he's done, he mm. thinks he's untouchable. So, Mark Dixie was born on the 24th of September 1970 in Streatham, South London and started committing crimes early on in his life. From the age of 14, he admits to using cannabis regularly. And in 1986, when Dixie was just 16 years old, he mugged a woman at Knife Point in Stockwell, London. He put a knife up to her throat, fondled her breasts and demanded money before fleeing. Dixie was sentenced to just six weeks' detention for this. The same year, he bundled a woman into her car in Croydon and raped her, leaving her tied to the car door and setting the front seats on fire. The woman managed to escape, but I'm unsure what punishment he received for this. Mm. Couldn't find it anywhere. The following year, 1987, he then moved to Sidcup, where he went on to be convicted of burglary and then robbery relating to the attack of a doctor outside a hospital. Oh, he sounds... Delightful. Such a nice person. Such a gent. Also, kind of makes you wonder what sentences he did receive or what punishments he did receive for this because if he's doing all this in this short space of time... He's literally like 18, 17. Um, So he set a car on fire when he was 16, but then he's out again by by the time he's 17. It's just constant slaps on the wrist. Yeah. In 1988, so he's 18, he was convicted of indecent assault and indecent exposure when he is caught exposing himself to and masturbating in front of women multiple times, asking one victim to kiss his penis and then pushing her to the ground when she walked away from him. This landed him two years probation. In June 1988, Dixie attacked a Jehovah's Witness, cornering her in a lift after she knocked on his door, telling her, you've got to help me, I need it, I need it. The woman fought and tried to make it to the doors of the lift, but Dixie hit her in the face. The victim changed tactics and then promised to drive them both to her house for sex, but instead drove them to her parents' house, where Dixie ran off. He was subsequently jailed for six months for indecent assault and assault occasioning actual bodily harm. Which is uh, hard to say, as you can hear. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a new term for me. It basically means when an offence is committed when a person intentionally or recklessly assaults another, thereby causing actual bodily harm. Which is still not that clear to me, no, but basically so assault. Ba- yeah, basically sounds like he harmed her with the intent to harm. Yeah, I don't know why like, they can't it, just call it like... Intent to harm. But yeah. Like, or just assault. Yeah. Like, he assaulted her. Yeah. He caused her an injury. But and good he, on her for, like, playing... Playing well, along well, with... Yeah. Yeah, I would have driven him probably to a police station, but... Yeah. Whatever gets him away from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. In 1989, 
He is again convicted of indecent exposure after exposing himself to two women in a car. And this act sees him sentenced to 80 hours of community service. To put that into perspective, I just did 48 hours work in four days. So... Yeah, not... A week and a bit if he did it all in one go, which he didn't, obviously, no. but, eh, but not much. Yeah, but also, although, yeah, you're doing a community <clears throat> service, what are you doing the rest of the time? Committing crimes. Exactly. Yeah, I just get so angry at this. Also, this side note, he mm. has a girlfriend the entire time this is happening. I believe he had kids by her. I could be wrong. Does mm. she know? I doubt it. But if she does know yeah. and she's staying with him, what the actual fuck... Also, girls, he, don't if, set if the bar so low. Yeah, if he's being like convicted of stuff, even she if it's community service, yeah, like she must, because he would have had to go to court, and that would have been like. Just, I mean, he's still I, not really you, served any time, and there has been. You point, found like, all this weeks. information though, so then, like most of the time, if you Google someone's name and yeah. they've got a crime, it comes. Especially up. like it, Mark it, Dixie, it's not a common name. Yeah, like if it was like Adam Smith, yeah, yeah. But, um, so yeah, most of the time you can find out by just googling someone's name. But then we are also talking about nineteen eighty nine. Actually, yeah, you wouldn't have. Mm. But either way, I think she. I I don't know, and I'm not putting anything on her. It's not. It's not on her. But I, I mean, just like girl, if the, you knew, I promise you, you could have done better. The way he sounds, he was probably really, really manipulative as well. Yeah, like, it was probably he just abusive. Sounds like that kind of, yeah. And then to start off the nineties, remember he is just twenty years old in nineteen ninety, mm. and already. This is his history. He is convicted of assaulting a police officer whilst resisting arrest. I don't know what he was originally being arrested for, and I'm not sure what sentence that got him, to be honest. Probably another bullshit one. Probably actually a bit of a longer one because it was like a police officer. A police officer, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dixie then decided to move to Australia, following his partner, Sandra Beckhouse. And so off he went in 1993. He ended up overstaying his visa and... I think I can speak for the Australian people when I say he probably overstayed his welcome too. Mm. In 1999, he was deported back to the UK after being convicted of a sex offence. However, it's thought that Dixie likely got away with many crimes during his time in Els. Although never officially having a driving licence, Mark Dixie adopted the name of Shane Turner and began driving around Australia and in 1998 while staying in Sabiaco? No. Perth. It's in Perth. It in Perth yeah. He attacked a 19-year-old Thai student in her own home. Oh my god! How did it get in? Well, the student has told how Dixie climbed through her window oh, yeah. and told her to remove her top. Naturally, the woman started to scream and kick him, but Dixie managed to get behind her and stabbed her eight times in the back. He thought she was dead, so he then pulled down her pajama bottoms and raped her before running off. Once again, his DNA was left behind at the scene. So the fact that they didn't know if Sally was raped before or after mm. now makes me think that it was after because of his previous. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. On New Year's Day 1999, this is honestly the most pathetic of his crimes. Not like what he did, like to the victim, it's awful. But I mean, but, I, I laugh at him for this because it's so... F- fucking loser like, is it stupid I'm on new year's it. day 1999 dixie exposed himself to a jogger in bunbury south of perth reportedly he drove past the woman parked his car a bit further up removed all his clothes and hid in a bush 
He then leapt out as the woman passed and asked to perform a sexual act upon him. What a fucking loser! Like, wow. Everything he does is disgusting, and I hate him for absolutely everything. Like, even just for breathing, I'm like, could you not? Yeah. But the thought of a 29 year old man, which is our age, jumping out, being like, hee hee, and hiding in a bush naked. Is it bad that my initial reaction was, where's his car keys? Probably still in the car, jump in his car and drive away and just leave him naked there. Honestly, just what? <laughs> He's a loser anyway because he's such a piece of shit. But like, what? Or just the fuck? kick him as. I think if someone did that to me, I would kick him as hard as I could. And it was this act that led to his deportation that I mentioned earlier, having also been fined 750 Australian dollars for the crime, along with the crime of driving without a license and possession of cannabis. Now, in today's money, 750 Aussie dollars is about 404 pounds, which is insulting. Yeah. Like, if a man drives past me, singles me out, parks up, hides in a bush to then jump out and demand a sex act from me and is fined just over £400, no. Mm. I'm sorry. But my feeling of safety and comfort is worth more? Yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah, they deported him, but, like, what? Yeah. Also, he was deported back to the UK, but there was no arrest back here now I understand they probably don't have jurisdiction yeah but I feel like you can't just deport someone for such a disgusting crime back to a country and then our country go just be like oh yeah it's fine yeah. slept under the rug like welcome back Woo, yeah. red carpet like no there, there needs has to be, be some some punishment maybe just surveillance yeah just something because you know that he's a piece of shit yeah I mean he's got previous multiple records of that's what annoys me like none all of his sentences don't seem to get worse and worse no they're just then even his first one is awful yeah like and they're all and they're all very much aimed at women all mm. sexual and all violent yeah i mean he said to the jehovah's witness i need it yeah like that's you obviously got some problem of course, and that's that's what irritates me so much, that he is going to escalate at some point, and they all do. Yeah. But the escalation, he's already starting so high... Uh, yeah. ...that this escalation is only going to lead to murder. Oh, my God, yeah. He's already the raping fact, people. He's already stabbed someone. And thought they were dead. The fact that it was him exposing himself to a woman got him deported, not the stabbing, blows my mind. Well, they didn't, they didn't know it was him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mark Dixie is back in the UK, lucky us. Mm -hmm. And in September 2005, when Sally Ann was murdered, he was working at a chef at a pub in Surrey called Ye Old Six Bells. How the fuck did he get a job? And Sally Ann Bowman would be sadly found dead on September 25th, 2005. Now, at first, Dixie didn't admit to killing Sally Ann. In fact, he went ahead to plead not guilty in court, thus causing Sally Ann's family to sit through a trial and hear all the horrific details. On February 4th, 2008, the trial began and Dixie began to tell his story. He stated that he was out that night with friends at the Windsor Castle pub celebrating his 35th birthday by binging on drugs and alcohol. Apparently, Dixie was a heavy user of cocaine and even dealt drugs to make ends meet. It was on his way home that he said he stumbled across Sally Ann, whom he thought was passed out. He stated he decided to take advantage of the situation just want to say not a normal thing to do if you see a woman passed out you call for an ambulance or you see if she's okay yeah you You don't don't take advantage of the situation no he then proceeded to rape her claiming to only realize that she was dead when he bit her cheek now i just want to say something 
So I don't want to get too much into it. But if you only notice she's dead when you bite her cheek, women will react before that if yeah. they're not dead. Oh, yeah. And if you're saying that it's because of temperature, you will notice that before. before. But I'm not going to go too much into ways to check someone's temperature. Yes, we all know what I'm talking about. I don't need to go into it. Yeah. Judge Gerald Gordon remarked that Dixie's statement was revolting almost beyond belief. Can I just say, so he has confessed to raping her. Yeah, but not killing. But not killing her. He says, oh, no, 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 no. I just found her. Raped her. But, oh, no, she was already dead. Bear in mind, she was stabbed seven times, so she's... Bleeding. Bleeding, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably quite heavily because some of the stab wounds went completely through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Also, he said he bit her cheek, but she also had bite marks on her chest and neck. It only took three hours for the jury to deliberate and come back with their verdict. Guilty. For the murder of 18-year-old Sally Ann Bowman. And he was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 34 years. It is unlikely he will ever get out, though. However, Sally Ann's family ordeal was not over there. I mean, of course it wasn't. Like, it's never going to be. They they lost their their daughter, their sister. But what I mean is Dixie would admit to murdering Sally Ann a decade after her killing in 2015. And I think he did this for two reasons. I think there's the obvious one to play the system in in hopes that one day, like, he'll win his parole. Like, oh, I told Mm. the truth. Yeah. Um, But I also think that he really obviously enjoys hurting people, especially women. And Sally came from a very woman-centric household. Yeah. Um, Also, like, I don't want to, like, play stereotypes, but she was, like, the model woman. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Like, the woman that everyone aspires to be, the model with the long blonde hair, the tall, skinny, blue eyes. And I feel like it was his final way to, like, hurt women because he can't do it. He's in an all-male prison. Yeah. I imagine he's awful to female guards but like he it's another way and also i think he enjoys shocking people yeah and obviously i mean if you're exposing yourself to people it's and a shock out isn't from it bushes yeah and probably seeing the shock on detectives faces and stuff yeah <sighs> so sally ann's family were asked by the police when he confessed if they wanted to hear the details and i, I do understand why they said yes i feel like oh is one of those things you couldn't not like you'd always then wonder it's worse yeah worse not knowing because you would no matter what you hear you would always think worse and it's probably going to be reported on and I'd rather hear it it from that so they listened as they heard how Dixie said he heard Sally Ann and Lewis arguing and it piqued his interest he was already pumped up as he had attacked a woman in a phone box earlier that evening but had been disturbed after her screams drew the attention of a taxi driver. So I guess, feeling unsatisfied, he was on the prowl for another victim. After Sally Ann left Lewis's car and the vehicle was out of sight, Dixie said he attacked Sally Ann from behind, putting his left arm around her face. She began to struggle and tried to scream, so he began stabbing her. He then left the crime scene but returned to collect the bloodied murder weapons, a knife and a screwdriver. It was then that he became aroused and began raping her corpse. When he was done, he casually lit a joint. He also admitted to later sitting in a cafe for hours watching the police descend on the crime scene of his making. In 2015, Dixie also admitted to the brutal rape of a woman in Spain in August 2003, for which a man called Romano van der Dussen was wrongly convicted and served 12 years in prison for. I did try and look a bit more into him to see if, like, there was anything. But what I mostly found was him saying to the family that they should 
sue the Spanish police because mm. perhaps Sally Ann wouldn't be dead. In 2017, Dixie further admitted to the rape in 1987, as well as battering another woman with a knife sharpener in 2002. And for these, he was handed an additional two life sentences. Like, he's really not getting out. Oh, good. Despite the DNA evidence finally linking Dixie to the attack and rape of the Thai student in 1998, Mm. Western Australia police stated they have no plans to extradite Mark Dixie back to Australia. So he's not being convicted of that. No, but I guess if you know that he's not getting out of prison in England, like, what else can you do? So what I really want to know is how Mark Dixie was allowed to carry on committing these crimes for so long. Mm. Of course, his nomadic lifestyle helped. So he lived in Spain, he lived in Australia, he lived in the UK. Yeah. Um, And he definitely knew how to work it to his advantage. Reportedly, after having his DNA taken following the bar fight, which I just want to say, police were really worried not worried, confused when they arrested him for the bar fight because it was quite a minor crime. I mean, it's football hooligans having yeah. a fight after a game. Yeah. Like it's- and it's also, it's one of those things that, although like someone should be held accountable, how do you pinpoint the one person when there was 10 people fighting? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like so, it's always six one half dozen of the other in football fights. Exactly. So when they arrested him, he like broke down in tears and they were really confused and obviously it's because he knew he was about to get got. Yeah, for everything he's ever done. Yeah. So after having his DNA taken, because he knew he was about to get got, he skipped country to Amsterdam. And he did return of his own free will, but I think that's because he honestly presumed I'd been gone for three months. It's all blown over. Because how many times has that worked for him? I mean, in, yeah. in, he's been getting away with crimes for so long, for pretty much 20 years. Mm. He presumed he could return and everything would be grand. Yeah. Like, because all he got was a slap on the wrist constantly. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't also, he think to say he different? didn't do something in Amsterdam as well? Well, that's the thing. Police don't believe this was his first murder. No. But, I mean, that he is attempted murder of that Thai student in Australia. That's, oh, my God, That's yeah. not just a rape. I say no. just, but you know what I mean. And the fact that he climbed into her window... Like, it wasn't just uh, spontaneous. Like, no. he thought about that. He was... There was more, yeah, more intent. Yeah. <sighs> so, I'm very happy his past finally caught up with him, but I'm just amazed to see how long it took for him to be put behind bars for a substantial amount of time. I mean, I think yeah. he served, like, six weeks before that, didn't he? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, it seems he just continuously got a slap on the wrist. No wonder he was so brazen and cocky. He thought he was untouchable, and yeah. I guess, unfortunately... He kind of was. He was. Mm. Now, since her daughter, Sally Ann's murder, Linda Bowman has taken petition to Downing Street, in which she calls for the introduction of a national DNA register, which would record the DNA of everyone in the country. Uh, I'm in two minds about this myself. Yeah. I see why she would want this, but I do think our current system is fairer. So our current system... Hmm. Basically, um, so DNA profiling has been increasing in use since 1985 when it was first developed by Sir Alec Jeffries at the University of Leicester. And since 1984, in the UK, the police would take DNA samples from those in custody. However, until 2001, it was unlawful for police to retain those samples when the individual was acquitted or the charges dropped. Now, I know Dixie had been arrested and charged since 1984, so I'm not sure why they didn't have his sample. Yeah. Perhaps it wasn't as routine as DNA profiling was still relatively new when Dixie committed and was charged for these crimes. 
we already know this case is frustrating. <laughs> yeah. But since 2001, the police are allowed to retain DNA samples for a person's charge, even after acquittal. So okay. once once you've done a crime, they're taking a sample. They can keep they it. They keep it. And I, I'm more for that. That, that doesn't make sense because, as you said, people's crimes do tend to escalate. So someone with just a mild assault could potentially escalate yeah. to murder and if you can keep their dna samples you can kind of see a pattern mm. and stop it before it happens yeah i Ra- think that's a that, that, i would hope that's the theory behind it yeah um so i do see the reason behind it yeah it makes sense so that i'm all for the current yeah. system so like, i'm not a massive conspiracy theorist i don't <laughs> believe that we've got me and you are both vaccinated I don't believe yeah. we've got tracking chips in us and that we're I don't think we've got them in, in us but if you have a mobile phone oh, you yeah, are definitely course. being tracked so but, I don't know what everyone's problem is but, the... but I like to think I have like a healthy amount of side eye at the government and yeah. I hate to admit it but the police I think yeah. you know what we've seen in the last however many years yeah I've got a good amount of side eye and I just don't personally think I want my DNA because I've never committed a crime yeah what gives them the right to take my DNA yeah and we've all seen like even the, the best companies get hacked yeah but also you hear of like the hackers like it happened to someone I know their the school that their daughter was at was being held by hackers and saying if you don't pay us this money we will release all the information of your children well exactly and that's happening in a primary school so yeah like, I whilst I completely understand like the whole stance of like well if you've got nothing to hide you've got nothing to fear like yeah of course but, but someone could it's get not all that. my information by hacking you yeah you can get my entire DNA profile yeah and like it, things get sold on like oh my god yeah so much so yeah um, I completely understand where she's coming from I'm sure if a crime like this happened to my sister or my mum or my friend you would want everyone I would be in her position but yeah. I have to say I I don't think I'm for that. Yeah, no, I don't think. But I, I mean, this this is a relatively old case. It's not. It's, it's fifteen years, sixteen years old. But you know what I mean. It's a relatively yeah. older you think case. Of so how much technology is advanced in those? And I 15, would hope DNA years. profiling. Yeah, yeah. You think if they're now allowed to keep it since two thousand and one, mm-hmm. twenty years of collecting DNA that they've now been allowed to keep, yeah. and that's only just going to get more and more. But it still stands that this should have never happened. Not just because people shouldn't be these this kind of person, <laughs> yeah. but because Dixie showed been, time and time again. Yeah, should have been what a piece of shit he was. Yeah, is is still is. Yeah, and he should have been behind bars years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thoughts? Horrific murder. Yeah, like, but yeah, no, I agree that it did escalate. Although his previous crimes were still horrific. I mean, the Thai student is basically... He he tried to kill her. Yeah, she's I think he thought she, she was dead. Yeah, she's lucky she survived. Because um, how many times was she stabbed? Seven. I think it was eight. Seven or eight. And then Sally Ann was stabbed seven. seven or eight times as yeah. well. And the fact that he sat and waited for the police to turn up... He's getting off on it. Yeah, he likes it. He's bragging about it. I did also see a thing that said that he... I think it was prior to what he did to Sally Ann, he would masturbate over her pictures in the newspaper. Yeah, I think oh. it was prior to, because I'm pretty sure there wouldn't have been. Yeah. Mm. So, it, so he knew who she was. Yeah. Yeah. So this it was, was almost pretty... like a, a fucking dream come true for him, which yeah. is just disgusting on so many levels. Yeah. But yeah, and so then that to is... lie about it at first, and then. 
Yeah, it's a stupid lie. Yeah. Stupid, Just, stupid I mean, lie that doesn't paint you, you in any better light. You've already been caught and there's so many holes in the lie. He like, didn't have to put the family through that either, as well no. as the jurors. Yeah. He could have just pleaded guilty. But no, I think, again, he got off on that. Yeah. And you can guarantee... He I loved mean, reliving it. I mean, you would have had a lawyer. Imagine trying to defend that. You would say, you need to plead guilty, wouldn't you? I saw some something that said that they told him that the only defence he had was to say that he didn't kill her, but that he raped her. And when that's your client's only defence... Yeah. It's, because uh, raping it's someone is slightly better than murdering them. Raping a dead person. Mm-hmm. Oh, necrophilia. Gross. Yeah. Um, Paints him in a good light, doesn't it? No, no, he's an absolute disgusting human and I just hope he is having the worst time ever. Yeah, I am quite empathetic towards her boyfriend. Mm. So not only did he find out by being questioned through the police, Mm. you've also then got that forever guilt of if I'd have just stayed two minutes longer and watched her go into her house or if I'd have just stayed over like she wanted me to. Yeah. But, I mean, you can live your whole life on what it's going in. Yeah, but... But, I mean, this is, again, why if you're my friend and, you know... Even if you're not my friend, even if I... Like, if I was a cab driver... <laughs> yeah. I sit. stay and I watch I people going to the house. I had a lovely cab homes. driver the other day who did that. He was like, I'm just... He was like, I'm not being creepy. I'm just going to make sure you get into your house, okay? And that's what I And honestly, I was like, that's so cute. I dipped him £5 because... Like, like I've asked him... <laughs> so cute. I, I won't go properly into it, but basically there's a really drunk girl on a bus once and she got off at the stop. I mean, this other woman on the bus who didn't know each other, like, looked at each other like, she wasn't okay and got off at the next stop and yeah. walked back. So happy we did because, oh my God, we got back and these guys were surrounding her and oh were gosh. like, come on, come back to us. And we were like, go away, like, got away, got her yeah. a cab. Managed to, like, find her driving licence and, like, got her to her address. And we said to the guy in the cab, like... We're going to give you extra money because this is before Ubers. I was 18. Yeah, in fact, yeah. I was coming back from Croydon. Nice. <laughs> we literally were just like, please, can you wait till she gets mm. into her house? But she's lucky it was you and that woman were so kind-hearted to do that because some people looked at that and been like, oh my God, look at that mess. And she was a mess, bless her. She was being sick on the bus and everything. But when she stumbled off, she like woke up at the stop and sort of looked around confused and then got off the bus mm. and that's what made me and this woman like catch eyes because I wasn't drunk I'd been working in Croydon not out yeah. in Croydon so you were fully and aware we, of we like looked at each other like she that's didn't know where she was yeah. like and it's like two in the morning mm. I used to do like bar flying and stuff but yeah so um and this is just, again, like, women shouldn't have to look over their shoulders all the time. No. But we live in a world where we do. Yeah. And therefore, please, it will never be your fault if something happens to your friends. Never, ever. No. It will always be on that person who decided and made that choice to hurt them. But please always wait till your friend gets in the house. Please always wait till your friend gets in the Uber. I know we all get drunk and we have too much fun. I'm not going to act like every time I've made the perfect decision and seen my friend into the Uber. No, but... But please just try and keep up each other safe because unfortunately yeah. we can't depend is, on others to keep It is safety in numbers. Yeah. yeah. It is definitely safety in numbers. I mean, even um, when you left the house the other week after we recorded, I was like, where are you parked? Yeah. Can I watch you get into your car? And you were like, no. And I was like, you need to text me when you get home. <laughs> and you're like walking two minutes away from my house. But Sally was but just so close to being home. Outside her door. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I even do it to some of my guy friends as well. Like, I have I quite often drive... We go and watch rugby every week. I quite often drive to and from the rugby. Just because, not gonna lie, I cannot keep up drinking with a load of lads who are considerably bigger than me. I um, 
often drive and yeah I've a few times a few of my guy friends have been so drunk but I'm like I'm still gonna watch them when they get into the house yeah. because someone could still kill and mug them or whatever yeah basically um, look after each other yeah, because you can't friends. unfortunately also if you are worried about someone like be the good person yeah. you don't have to literally carry them home you no. can be flag them up to a police officer like most of the time when you're on a night out in town there are police around yeah or to put them in a taxi. And don't get me least. wrong, I'm not saying everyone's out to get you. I do like actually believe that nine out of ten people are good people. Oh, definitely. I work in an A&E department and busy hospitals, so I meet a lot of people. Yeah. And nine out of ten the people I meet are amazing. Lovely. yeah. So trust me when I say I meet a lot of people and most people are brilliant. But it only takes one. Yes. One dickhead. <laughs> yeah. And... I think the thing that I've learned from working in hospitals, looks can be very deceiving yeah. as well. Some people, like, we've had patients who are, like, covered in tattoos, like, big, scary, like, typical, you'd be a bit like, oh, they look a bit intimidating. Loveliest people you'll ever Biggest meet. Biggest teddy bears. Yeah. And then you get people who are, like, the very charming little laddie, mm. like, can talk the talk and make you feel really at ease, but actually horrible. I mean, I've looked after prisoners and thought they're quite nice. And then I found out what they've done and they weren't quite nice. They weren't quite nice, yeah. Yeah. So basically, look after yourselves because at the end of the day, you can depend on each other. Yeah. But not always on everyone else, unfortunately. Right, well, that's all we've got for today, folks. So remember, stay safe and stay Stay spooky. spooky!